People of the world, it's the Brothers Talk with your hosts, Rod, Scott, and Norm, inviting you to join us each Friday wherever you listen to your favorite podcast or on our website to hear our take as three black, unfiltered African-American men with no strings attached, giving voice to the most feared, most misunderstood, and most rarely heard from segment of the population on topics of interest to us for education, enlightenment, and entertainment. You can follow us on Facebook. You can reach us with your comments, questions, suggestions at The Brothers Talk on Twitter, The Brothers Talk on Instagram, and you can email us, thebrotherstalk at gmail.com. And stay tuned for our long-awaited YouTube channel. And now on with this week's episode. Well, hello, Brothers Talk family, and welcome wherever you are around the world listening in and holding your critical thinking conversations to promote activism and to uplift our people. You are appreciated, and thanks to all our first-time listeners for tuning in to help with the work of encouraging and educating as we endorse and inspire new and existing Black businesses and individuals to empower and enrich the Black community. Your weekly coronavirus awareness alert, because we care, is that this still very infectious and very deadly virus has seen a moderate increase across the country. And while we hope and pray that this isn't a new surge beginning early, We can still do our part by wearing masks and being careful in large group settings that we know masks will prevent the spread of all respiratory infections, including the flu and RSV2. Even if you're the only one thinking about the safety of you and your loved ones, the health professionals are still advising that you get your vaccinations or the newest boosters. And finally, don't forget that the most disinfectants will kill all viruses, which is a good thing when you're traveling this summer for weddings, graduations, reunions, and or vacations. Come on, people, we can and we must do better. And now to my brothers in the struggle for critical thinking, Scott and Noam. Thanks, Rod. And thank you, family, for your continued support. And again, we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, about the virus. Uh, Rod sent uh, Norm and I even, uh, an article that talked about, you know, that there's going to really be a potential outbreak this fall. And people are definitely not going to be ready. I went. I was traveling over the weekend out of state. Uh, I think on the plane, I might have been the only person uh, with a mask on. In the state that we went to, I was the only person. Well, I take that back. When I go to, went into to a grocery store, there were some elderly people with masks on. But most time, people were looking at. They're starting to look at me now, like. You know, like, hey, take that mask off kind of thing. Like, it's bothering them. But uh, I'm afraid that we're in for a big, big surprise, and we're not going to be prepared for it. But something that, to me, that's more important, uh, more pressing, is how people are sitting on the sidelines and not voicing their opinion one way or the other about the direction that the country is heading in in terms of whether we're going to be... a democracy, or are we going to let these lunatic, racist, Nazi people turn it into a dictatorship? You know, I, I don't have the only conversation I have about that is with Norm and Rod. So, uh, what are your thoughts, Norm? Thanks, Scott. And I just wanted to let our listeners know that the Congressional Black Caucus or their former aides have gotten together and formed a PAC specifically to raise money in excess of $10 million to motivate African-American voters and get them to the polls in 2024 for the next presidential election. Now, having done absolutely nothing for African-Americans over the four years since the last presidential election, 
Why should we reward them again? And I continue to suggest looking at Cornell West and supporting his candidacy as an alternative to send a message to the Democrats and also to pull them to the left. They've been heading right way too long to the point where sometimes you can't tell the difference between which party they are. Are they the Republicans of the 80s or the Democrats of today? Can't tell the difference. So here we are, family. Today's podcast is a call to arms. We want to be very clear because what we've seen over the last 10 years or so, and particularly going back to the Obama days, is that there's a real reticence on people's part to call out racism and particularly calling out racists. All over this country, we see actions that are clearly racist, from what DeSantis is doing in Florida to what school boards are doing across the country and rolling back proclamations that were embracing diversity, equity, inclusion, like Tommy Tuberville's statement defending the white nationalists, which he's now tended to roll back. But we don't understand why he was given that opportunity to roll it back without somebody actually having called him a racist. Because in our world, when someone does racist things, that makes them a racist. But the only thing that we don't see is people willing to hold them accountable for racism. They talk around it. They talk to them and they look for them to explain their actions as though there is some rationale for racism. And there isn't. Bottom line, when you do racist things, that makes you a racist. So when DeSantis is busy throwing out AP African-American courses in Florida, that's racist. Attempting to undermine CRT and Black history and diversity, equity, and inclusion programs is racist. When the same thing is happening in Texas under Governor Greg Abbott, that's racist. So when we see these things happening, we don't understand why suddenly it's like they're trying to avoid calling out what used to be said, a spade, a spade. Because we've always heard that racism was the third rail in politics, but because no one is seemingly taking up arms to call out racism and specifically to call out the racist, that they're getting just bolder and bolder in their actions. So our call to arms today is to say that when you see racist actions going on, and that includes the Karens and the Buffys and the Chad who are in all of these these Instagram and TikTok videos, we need to call them racist. Exactly, uh, Rod. Uh, you you hit on a, a a number of of examples that are currently just in your face, and I haven't heard anybody call Tuberville a racist. I haven't heard anybody call uh, DeSantis a racist. Uh, I haven't heard anybody call his wife a racist, even though they said that she is the one who's the the, the uh is the strategy behind his campaign. Uh, like Rod said, anytime you hear a person talk about or or agreeing that we should eliminate CRT, uh, and if you don't know what critical race theory is, educate yourself on it. And then you'll see that the people who are against CRT, they're racist and call them for what they are. You know, anytime you have a congressperson, it doesn't have to be a congressperson, even a TV personality. When when they are out there supporting all of this nonsense, uh, like I think that DeSantis has some supporters with his statement about slavery was good, was a good thing for some black people for, for slave because they developed some skills 
that they can use, like being a blacksmith. I mean, how insulting, how condescending, how ridiculous does that sound? But yet there are people on TV who agree with him that, oh, yeah, people benefited from being slaves. And nobody's calling them racist. It's your job to do that. And that's what we're asking you to do, to help us do that. Let's, gentlemen, let's let's put the cards on the table here. What we're dealing with are the old get racist game of uh, dog whistle politics. Literally, this, as, as I believe uh, both of you, you know, mentioned, this is just a war on black people. But literally, by not saying that, or coming right out saying it, using the term woke in its place, basically as a trigger, lets these racists know that anything that comes after that is going to be an attack on people of color in this country. And that's what they've done. And they've galvanized this to the point where they're attacking every gain that we've made, literally voting rights, education, what have you, right down the line, you know, affirmative action, which is really another subject, but whatever, every gain we made over the past 60 years, they have attacking it and rolling it back. And as you mentioned, we are sitting quietly allowing them to do so. Our so-called allies are sitting quietly allowing them to do so. And as I mentioned in my opening remarks, the CBC, they're more concerned of gaining Black votes right now in, in the 2024 election than actually addressing any of these issues that we're speaking about. And that's the real problem. We've got to galvanize the people, as we're trying to do today, to start speaking up because our elected officials aren't going to do it. And we're only the we're the only people who really can make this change. So when you hear people say they are anti-woke or they're against wokeness, you need to hear that they're basically saying they are anti-black and against blackness, and you need to call them a racist. The problem with not calling them racist is just that, in essence, it means there isn't any pushback. And so, as I said earlier, they continue to get bolder in their actions. And we've already seen what the Supreme Court did in rolling back affirmative action. That's racist. When they affirmed the Shelby B. Holder case that undermined the, the civil rights laws that were put into place in the South to protect Black voters from disenfranchisement, that's racist. And so the Roberts Court should be called out for being racist. And so there's a new guy now, some country and Western young guy who's got some song. I guess goes by the name of Jason Aldean or something like that. And I have yeah. not heard the song, but the bottom line is he's got a lot of lines in there that are effectively showing up as just flat out racism about what they won't allow to happen in a small town. And so when you hear that now, when somebody questioned about it, he said that's the furthest thing he had from his mind. But that doesn't get it done. What needs to have happened is somebody should have just said to him, hey, well, you know what? Those lyrics are racist. Now, he can try to defend them if he wants to. But the fact that nobody actually took the initiative to say that it's racist. And as I said, it used to be the third rail because we know nobody still wants to be called racist. And Tim Wise, in his book, Colorblind, has a good argument for the fact that when people, white people in particular, are made to be conscious of race and racism, then they actually act better because they don't want to be seen as being racist. He said what happens is when you allow them to act in a space where you ignore race, that that's when they feel more bold to go ahead and do more racist stuff. 
And it just makes sense. It's like, well, like when you talk about diversity and inclusion, period, that if you have a mixed group of people together, then whatever white folks are in there are going to be more hesitant to do racist stuff. But if you don't have any any people from any other underrepresented backgrounds in there, then you pretty much know what's going to happen. What's going to happen is what happened in this country for basically 360 years before the Civil Rights Act mandated that you had to have some diversity in the room. So whenever you have these governors and folks who are now trying to go back to the 1850s and 1950s of before you had any diversity and inclusion, we know exactly what's about to happen. You know, Rod, again, you're on point. When they start getting rid of diversity and inclusion, and and I saw something today in an article where it was like 17 uh, state attorney generals had, you know, they basically convinced the governors of those states, mostly southern states, to get rid of anything, anything that's associated with diversity and inclusion or teaching diversity and inclusion. And diversity and inclusion basically is a way that was giving them cover. It's okay to uh, promote someone, hire someone, give someone an opportunity who doesn't look like you. You know, and and they just assume that we're talking about black folks. Well, that's one of the things that will black folks push uh, diversity and inclusion. But if you got people who are against diversity and inclusion, then um, that's racism. And you need to let them know that that's racism. What we're seeing now by them getting rid of diversity and inclusion is they're not trying to go back to the 50s and the 60s. They're going back to the 50s and the 60s. So when you don't have any diversity and inclusion, the only way that you can hold them accountable for discriminating against blacks, you're not going to have any diversity at the table at the decision makers at the table looking at what these people are doing at these companies or monitoring what they're doing in these companies. So you're going to see this whole thing with blacks already have, we already have the highest unemployment rate in the country. And I think it's going to even get higher because of eliminating diversity and inclusion, which is racist. We have organizations in this country that are supposed to represent African-Americans and our interests. And I'm just going to pick out the NAACP for one. Why are they so silent? Why have they become so incompetent and useless over the past 60 years? Why aren't they at the forefront of addressing any of these issues that, that I mentioned prior in this country and the things that are happening today? What are they doing? Well, it's because they've become ineffective because, one, they've become older and tired. And there's no infusion of fresh blood in the mix instead of them aligning themselves with groups like Black Lives Matter that would have given them a fresh infusion, they've actually maintained the lines of demarcation where there's no connection. And secondly, is because they become complacent. They've reached a point where they are part of the political structure. And so instead of them having any real activism about them, they have just gone along with what becomes politically correct. I mean, look at how the government and all the media agencies write about racism now. They don't even call it racism, racist. They call it white identity politics and white nationalists. Well, you know what? The grand scheme of things, nobody even understands what they mean when they say that. But certainly everybody will understand if you said these are racist groups bent on 
Aryan rule and genocide and getting rid of people uh, with color, then you would understand what it is. But that's a whole nother story. Well, you know, the way I see it is one of the things that people always say, and I've always heard, is that older black people are the most conservative people in the country. And conservatism is all about, hey, we don't want to change. We like the status quo. So I think some of that's happening in addition to, like Ross say, basically, we're we going along to get along, but some palms are being greased. You know, uh, that's part of the reason that, reason that 45 is, I think, been able to stay out of jail as long as he's been, been able to stay out of jail. You know, when you got justices, it's not just Clarence Thomas. Clarence Thomas just got caught. You know, I mean, he put, 45 put people on the court who would basically protect him. That's what he's expecting. And somehow, by some law, some miracle, uh, he's ending up, one of these cases is going to be with this cannon woman down in Florida. Of all the judges down in Florida, they tried to justify, you know, uh, oh, it just came up. It just happened to be her turn. I mean, come on. So you got you got a couple of things going on there. But I think uh, they've been bought and paid for. More, uh, more That's to me, more than anything, that's what it looks like. Well, Scott, I, I think you uh, hit the nail on the head there regarding, uh, you know, and you and Rod, I, I might have mentioned about the uh, NAACP and how conservative and old it's become. And the fact that they, you know, they haven't replaced or infused the organization with any young leadership. But, you know, we're at the point now where if we can't depend on that organization, then we've got to galvanize the people somehow. And we've got to be the voice for ourselves and really, you know, address these issues because they're not going to go away and things are only going to get worse, obviously, especially with the, new, the election coming up and um, not having any real representation anywhere in the government. So, you know, I don't know what else to put out there other than we have to organize somehow. So there you have it. That's your call to action because not only do we need to call out the racists who are doing the racist thing, but we need to call out those who are sitting on the sideline and allowing the racists to do racist things. As we've said, what Ibram Kendi said, there is no middle category of non-racist. You're either racist or you're anti-racist. And if you are not actively anti-racist, that means you're racist. So we have to get comfortable with the fact that we need to call out racism wherever we see it so that they will know that they can't skate because of their their Teflon nature of what the media and others who refuse to do it. So in our Black Business Spotlight, meet Charlene's Beauty Supply, a Black-owned beauty supply store in Northern California that's thriving after having launched a few months ago thanks to the entire family's efforts. Owned and operated by Charlotte and Chris Haynes and their four daughters, the store offers a wide range of beauty and hair care products. After attending a hair care conference in 2019, Charlotte started her journey by introducing Charlene's beauty supply named after her, her grandmother, through a vending machine in a mall. She says that during the pandemic, she felt really motivated to open a physical location for the store. And in May 2023, Charlene's beauty supply finally opened its doors to the local community. The Haynes family is heavily involved in the business. Charlotte's husband, Chris, who is an NBA journalist, supports her as a marketing specialist, while their daughters contribute by managing social media and customer interactions. The Haynes family is grateful for the community's support and wants to create a welcoming and inclusive space aiming to provide not only products, but also educational resources, workshops, and services to help customers with their beauty needs. 
Be sure to follow their brand on Instagram at Charlene's Beauty Supply. That's a wrap for this show. And remember, you can share your thoughts with us and follow and communicate with us by sending your comments as well as questions and show ideas to the Brothers Talk on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or email us, thebrotherstalk at gmail.com. And as always, God willing, we'll continue to keep our focus on the issues that impact our community on the path to a better future. Until our next episode, know that we sincerely appreciate your time and interest and rest assured that we'll never take it or you for granted. And finally, let's all do better today because that's all we really have.